I'm pulling out of the parking lot. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay, I had to drop off my son at camp today, but we will still have a full podcast. Okay, so today's podcast is uh, based on an article I wrote called Being Inspired, uh, where I talked about what the inspiration was for each of the blocks that we have made. And um, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to start chronologically with the most recent block, which is Kantatark here, and then I'm going to go back and for each one, I'm going to talk about what was the inspiration for making that block and sort of the thought behind it. Um, I don't know how many podcasts this will be. It might be one, might be two, maybe three. I don't know. We shall see. But the idea is, I want, today is all about talking about sort of inspiration. Where did the idea start? Where, what, was the, what were we trying to do? And the interesting thing is, where we start and where we end up are often very different things. Um, but today it's like, okay, what was our jumping off point? And hopefully, I want to talk a little bit about the creative process of how do you start things, you know? Because one of my big beliefs, and this is sort of like my hypothesis for this podcast or series podcast, is that you need to start from somewhere. Part of a creative endeavor is you need to have some idea. You need some inkling of something to start with. Um, What that is doesn't really matter. You just need something to focus on that is a unique focus one of the things I always say is, I think when you're doing creative stuff, you just want to start from a place that you haven't started before. Um, and I talk about this all the time, but the reason it's so important is you want to think about things in a different way. That if you present the same problem, you tend to come up with the same solutions. But if you just offer up a slightly different problem, your brain just goes to new places. Okay, that said, let's start. So we're going to start with cons of Tarkir. So cons of Tarkir started structurally. Um, we didn't know at the time that it was going to be our last three-block set, but we knew we had to do a three-block set. We knew it was going to be large, small, large, because we rotate. So basically every year we were doing large, small, small, and every other year we were doing large, small, large. So we knew it was large, small, large's turn. Um, and I was just trying to find a way to do large, small, large in a slightly different manner. Um, and the idea that had come up a couple times, we'd actually talked about it for Return to Ravnica, is the idea of having a middle block that pivots and, ro- and um, drafts with both large sets. That was the idea. So I was like, okay, we've never done that. Let's start there. Let's make that the place to jump off. And so the key was, the way we started Kazatarkir was, we asked the question, why? Why would a, a, a block be structured that way? Um, and the interesting thing is, so what happened, for those that don't remember the story, I talked about this in my Exploratory Design podcast, um, both Sean Main and Ethan Fleischer, um, who had, uh, Ethan had won the Great Designer Search 2, Sean had come in second the Great Designer 2, both of them got internships, and I was, I wanted to test them, I wanted to see, you know, who, um, you know, one of the reasons, one of the things about the second Great Designer Search was, I was more interested in finding people that could build worlds, in fact, if you notice, for, the, for those who pay attention, in the, great, the second Great Designer Search, very, very much we had them pick a world that they made of their own creation, and every challenge was them building on their own world. I, bar, bar one where they built somebody else's world. But anyway, so the idea was that these people, I, I selected Sean and Ethan because of their ability to sort of do large, holistic-style world building. So it only made sense. I said, okay, let's put them to a task. So I put them to the task of trying to solve the problem of why would you... Why would the middle set rotate? So once we had that, that's when we said, okay, what would this be? And they came up with a whole bunch of different things. We're at one place, like like 
one of the ideas was we were at one place and then we're traveling. And so the middle set's like the vehicle we travel on, a boat or something. And the second set is a new place. So the reason that the thing would be drafted with both was it existed with both places. You know, it's the original place and the boat. And then the boat travels now to the boat in the new place. Um, we messed around with the idea of two sides that were fighting. And so the center represented the war between the sides. We thought about the idea of having two places, and this was the, the intermediate ground between them, that they're like two bordering countries, and this was sort of the, the area that was the over-dispute. Um, but in the end, Ethan actually came up with what I thought was the best idea, which we used, was the idea of a time travel story. That what if there's a world, it got, you know, the middle set was the past where they went back and changed it, and then the, we were back, now in an alternate version of the timeline, and the reason the middle set drafted with both sets was both versions of the timeline, the early set existed, and it was the changing of something that made different timelines. Um, I'm a big time travel buff, for those that are not unaware. Um, I, I love time travel. And uh, we, had, we had messed around with time travel a little bit in Urza Saga. Um, Karn the Silver Golem was made of silver because in the time travel technique that... Um, Urza was able to figure out the only thing that could actually travel was, was uh, silver. And so he made a, a being out of silver so that he could do his time travel stuff, for those that don't know the origin of, of, of Karn. Um, but anyway, the interesting thing about Khan Tarkir was that once we had a structure, once we said, okay, we're doing time travel, then a lot of the design became making time travel work. So the neat thing about it was we started with a very mechanical inspiration. That mechanical inspiration led us to a very creative inspiration, and we used the creative inspiration to guide a lot of what we were doing. Um, and like once, once we knew we were doing a time travel world, then it became a matter of us figuring out sort of what the things represented. Anyway, I'm going to very shortly do a Cons of Tarkir um, podcast, so I don't want to get too much into this story, only because I will go in great detail in the Cons of Tarkir Tarkir podcast. The thing I want to point about this particular inspiration was it started very mechanically. Oh, so let me explain this. I, I use these terms from time to time. What I call bottoms up and top down. Okay, so the idea is when you were designing something, um, the way originally, when, when Magic first started, we would mechanically make something and then hand it over to the creative team and they would put a layering of, of flavor on it. In fact, early, early on, the design team also made up the flavor. But eventually there was a separate team for it. Um, and the bottoms up meant you start from the bottom, from the, you know, the, the structure of the design. So bottoms up means you have a mechanical means. And like, okay, it's a set all about this mechanical thing. And then you start layering the flavor on top of it. Top down means, oh, you start with the flavor. Oh, we're going to try to capture this flavor. And then you work downward and get mechanics to match the flavor. Now, if we're doing our job well, for example, Khanda uh, Tarkir technically was a bottoms-up set, meaning we started with mechanical origins. Now, it quickly got a flavor component to it, and we built a lot of stuff from that flavor. So when we're doing our job nowadays, um, it becomes harder and harder to tell what is top-up and what's, uh, what's top-down and what's bottoms-up. Um, oh, people ask all the time, why up and down? Um, I don't know. It, uh, my best guess on it is if you look at a magic card, that the top part of the magic card is more flavor, and the bottom card of the magic card is more the mechanics. 
You know, the top is like the name and the art and maybe the type line. And then the rules text is down below, which has most, you know, has the rules in it and the power toughness. And so I think um, top down means you start from the top of the card and work down. And bottoms up means you start from the bottom of the card and you work up. I think that's where the terms come from. Uh, it's possible the terms have nothing to do with magic and I borrow them from somewhere else. I don't know. Um, I don't, I know I've used them. I don't know where I got them. So for those looking for the origins of bottoms up and top down, I don't know. Um, people, on my blog all the time, people ask and they've never heard the terms before. So if I got them from somewhere, they're relatively obscure, I think, because no one seems to know what the terms mean. Okay. So next, that was Constant Dark here. Next is Theros. So Theros is clearly, clearly, clearly top down. Theros was, you know what? We've always wanted to do a world inspired by Greek mythology. Let's do it. Um, so Theros was like day one, we come in the meeting and it's like, okay, what do you expect a Greek mytho- mythological world to be? And we just wrote things on the board. Um, and early on we got to our theme of gods, heroes, and monsters. Um, but that was just a way for us to consolidate basically a top-down theme. Um, but Theros very, very much was like, we want to represent, we want to represent, um, Greek mythology. Now, we had walked into it with the idea that maybe we'd make use of enchantments um, when Brady Domrith first pitched the idea of a Greek world. Because originally, by the way, um, when I did my seven-year plan or whatever, this block, the original plan was to do a block, uh, this is similar to what got proposed by Ethan Fleischer in The Great Censors 2, although this was done before that even happened. Uh, I had pitched a world in which we started, like, prehistoric, and then the next set was... Um, you know, thousands of years in the future and was sort of like um, Middle Ages and then you jump again and the last it was like, I don't know, like a renaissance or whatever the latest version we'd be willing to do of magic. I mean, magic tends to do, we don't like to do super modern, but whatever the most modern version, you know, whether it's the 1800s or 1900s or the renaissance, I'm not quite quite sure where magic would end up at. But the idea was that we'd watch a civilization go from prehistoric to as advanced as we get. Um, uh, and Brady's issue w- with it was uh, he felt like it really required the creative team making three unique different worlds and at the time he just didn't have the resources to do that um, and so he ended up pitching uh, a Greek world where and we had talked about doing Greek mythology worlds forever so he's like look, he's like, look we know we're doing Greek we, we know we keep wanting to do a Greek mythology world and we keep talking about maybe doing an enchantment based world enchantments make a lot of sense there's a lot to do with dreamscapes and stuff for, for Greek mythology. He goes, maybe somehow we could combine Greek mythology with enchantment. So I walked in as a top-down set trying to capture Greece, but I also knew that there was an enchantment component that we were going to try to find. So while it had a top-down flavor component, there was a mechanical component, which, to be fair, came out of what Brady felt made sense creatively. So it was really all top-down, but we did have a mechanical component we walked in with. So it wasn't like Theros was a complete unknown it was kind of like, okay, we're going to do this top-down flavor and then try to fill it in with this enchantment mechanical component. Okay, next, return to Ravnica. So this one was dirt simple. We had been to Ravnica. People loved Ravnica. We're like, we need to go back to Ravnica. Uh, if anything, this one was should have been more planned. It was just like, ah, we're going back to Ravnica. That was literally like, like return to Ravnica was, was the impetus. We like Ravnica, let's go back to Ravnica. We knew in returning to Ravnica that we had to capture the things that people loved about Ravnica. So, of course, it was be guild-related. Even though, by the way, at the end of the guild story in Dissension, the guild had broken. 
the guilt had fallen, the guilt pack had fallen, but uh, people wanted guilds, so we're like, okay, well, we'll figure out a way to get the guilds back, because going back to Raffin and going, remember the guilds you loved? Yeah, they're not here. That would not have been very popular, so we, we, uh, there was a means by which the guilds re- reformed, and we, you came back and saw the guilds, but there wasn't, as far as inspiration, it wasn't particularly, it was really like we're going back to the place we've been before, um, we get to Scars the Mirror, and you'll see it was, that was very different. But this was like, we're going back. It really was, we're just going back. How do we recapture the thing we wanted? Um, information was, look, we have ten guilds. Let's capture the ten guilds in uh, the same way, well, the same feel, but in a new way. So we wanted it to sort of be like, hey, remember this clan? Yeah, it still feels like that. Or not clan, guild. Remember that guild? Still feels like that guild, but mechanically just a little bit different. Um, the overview was the same, the archetypes were similar, but the mechanics and stuff were done differently. So just, you know, what, the goal was to make cards that were new and fun, but that if you mixed your new guild cards with your old guild cards, they'd all play well together. That was kind of the goal. Okay, next, Innistrad. So Innistrad really was um, a top-down... The, the idea was, um, when we had done Odyssey, Brady Downworth had commented to me that we missed an opportunity to, to do a graveyard set that really played in, that flavor-wise played into the graveyard, and he had pitched the idea of a gothic, a gothic horror. Um, and I, I love genres. I, as a writer, I can get very fascinated. One of the neat things about writing is um, that there's different rules for different genres of writing, and it's just that I used to do a lot of improv in college, and one of the things we would do is, um, one of the sketches is, people would write down different genres. And then you'd be doing a sketch and the, and the genres would keep changing on you. So you're in the middle of a soap opera and all of a sudden it's a horror film. Or you're in the middle of a horror film and all of a sudden it's the news. You know, you just jump around or it's a sitcom. You know, and that the, the dynamics of watching a scene change from genre to genre is fascinating because there's just different tropes and different sort of feel for different genres. Um, so I was fascinated when Brady said that of the idea of capturing the genre of horror. So while I, it, it was a top-down set, the inspiration was more trying to capture the feel and trope space of a genre of storytelling. That, that's what excited me and where I came from. Um, and for those who know the story, it took a while to get made. Uh, I think what happened was, finally, horror really kind of returned to the zeitgeist, and there was just sort of a... It got popular again. Like, horror was something that was hot. And so it's easier for me to go to the people and say, look, horror's real hot right now. You know, vampires and Twilight and I go, come on, we, we, could, we could get into this, you know. I mean, I, I'd want to do this for years, but I felt like a reason to justify saying, okay, it's, it's, this is the right time to do it. And, and went through a rigmarole, but finally it all worked out and we got into Strahd. Okay, next, Scars of Mirrodin. So Scars of Mirrodin is a good example where the set started in a completely different place where it ended up. So Scars of Mirrodin, I mean, to be blunt, was when we had been in original Mirrodin, Brady had figured out a way to get back to the Phyrexians. And so what he'd done is he had laid the groundwork. Um, I mean, I've talked about this so many times, but uh, really what we were trying to do is reintroduce the Phyrexians. That was the major goal. It's like, okay, we had this awesome villain. We really had revamped things. We had brought back Nicole Bolas. We had brought back the Eldra- or we introduced the Eldrazi. I'm like, okay, it's time to make the Phyrexians. And we had gotten into... Uh, um, I, was, I wanted to find a way to bring the Phyrexians to gameplay in a way... I, this is the first set where I was really messing around more with emotional beats. Um, and, and in some ways, I talk about the fifth age of design starting. 
to me, Scars of Mirrodin's where it started. And it was really about finding this emotional read that I wanted the audience, when they played, to experience something that matched the flavor of what the world was. Um, and part of it was I really wanted to give the Phyrexians a visceral feel. And the funny thing is, it wasn't that I started saying I wanted to create this emotional thing. It's I just, I wanted to capture the Phyrexians. And, and I said, I don't want to just capture them in, in creative. I want to capture them in gameplay. How do I make the Phyrexians, through gameplay, feel like the Phyrexians? That's where Infect came from. That's where um, uh, Proliferate came from. That, you know, a lot of the stuff we were doing was just trying to get a feel for the Phyrexians. Um, we had come up with four words. Can not remember the four words? They were, let's see, toxic, adaptive, viral, and persistent, relentless, and relentless. And I was trying to make sure that we could capture all the feel of those things so when we made it. So really the inspiration for Scars of Mirrodin was just capturing the Phyrexians, reintroducing the Phyrexians, and making them something to really be afraid of, um, which I, I think I achieved maybe slightly too well. Okay, next, Shards of Alara. So Shards of Alara, uh, it was time to do a gold set. Players really like multicolor sets. It was clear that it was kind of time to do a multicolor set. We actually were trying to experiment where we did it one earlier than we had meant to. Like, I mean, not, not meant to, we meant to. But um, before, we had a certain amount of gap between, and we said, let's, let's do it one year earlier to see if that's too early. Ended up being a little too early. I think we pushed it a little bit. But anyway, Shards of Alara was interestingly trying to be a multicolor set that wasn't Invasion, but wasn't Ravnica. And Invasion was all about play five colors, and Ravnica was all about play two colors. So Bill Rose, who was the lead developer, uh, lead designer, said, okay, what if the inspiration was play three color? And then Bill got this neat idea of doing a small set that was all gold, all multicolor. Um, and so really the inspiration for the block was two things. One was not being Ravnica Invasion, but also he wanted to figure out how to end it on an all-gold small set. He knew he couldn't start with a large all-gold set. He knew it needed to be a small set. Just, he, there was too much going on, and he had to set it up ahead of time. Um, so the inspiration of Shards of Lara was those two things, to kind of make a unique gold, multicolor world and set up an all-gold set. Lorwyn and Shadowmoor. So Lorwyn and Shadowmoor... Um, when year, two years before, when we made original Ravnica and we had a summer set that ended up being Cold Snap, um, we weren't really happy with how Cold Snap played out. So I said to Bill, I go, Bill, next time you want a fourth set, talk to me. I will incorporate it. I will make it part of the plan. I don't want it to feel like an add-on. I want you to feel like, well, of course it exists. It had to exist because it was an endemic part of what we were doing. So Bill came to me that year and said, okay, we're doing four sets. So figure out how to make them all work together. And so I was inspired by trying to make sense of four sets. Now, I came back and pitched the idea of two mini-sets, of large, small, large, small. Um, at the time, we had never done a large set other than the fall. So I was, I was proposing something pretty crazy. But it all stemmed from me trying to make a world that felt natural. And once I had large, small, large, small, then we had the idea of what if you had a world that somehow radically changed itself? That the two blocks were connected because they weren't different worlds, they were the same worlds. Um, part of that was to have a thematic connection for the year. Part of it was it was a little bit easier for creative. If it's 100% a new world, that's a little bit more work than if it's a tweaked version of a world. Still was a lot of work. Shadowmoor was a lot of work. But um, Shadowmoor being a shadow of Lorwyn helped a little bit in figuring out some of the identity. But that's where Lorwyn and Shadowmoor came from, was just us trying to... Um, 
make sense of a four block structure. That's right. That the, the inspiration came from me making that make sense. Okay, next time spiral. So time spiral started because I collected a bunch of different mechanics that were time based. Um, uh, Brian Tinsman to come up with one in uh, Saviors of Kamigawa, I think. Um, I'd wanted to do instant as a, as a card type, as a, a super type, and I was going to try to make my big move to make instant a super type. Um, there was actually a mechanic made during Cold Snap that ended up being, we, we took, which was uh, the, um, what's it called? You play it and they can't respond to it. Uh, split second. Um, so I, I just had all these mechanics that played in an interesting, oh, did I skip Zendikar? I did skip Zendikar. Let me, let me jump back to Zendikar. Uh, Zendikar, which was in between Scars of Mirrodin and Chardalara, was me having a whole bunch of mechanics for lands. And I just said to uh, Randy Bueller, my boss at the time, look, I want to do experimental. I want to just dig as deep as we can and find out land mechanics and do fun stuff with land. And we found the mechanics. We ended up doing Kicker. We did Landfall. And then from that, the creative team spun out the idea to do an adventure world. And from then, once we knew we had an adventure world, we used the second part of our design to make traps and quests and allies and do all these things to make adventure world make sense. But the inspiration for Zendikar was trying to mine a, a, a bit of space. Which is interesting because Time Spiral was the same thing. I was trying to mine a space. The space that I was trying to mine for um, Time Spiral was time-related mechanics. So spend was really like, okay, it's cheaper. I have less mana to spend because I'm spending time. That was the idea behind it. Um, and then as I, as I started working on the block structure, I came up with the idea of past, present, and future because I felt like, oh, we have a time-related block. How does time break up in a nice, clean way? Well, past, present, future did very well. And then from there, I figured out what it meant to be a past set and a present set and a future set. Um, but the original inspiration wasn't, the original inspiration was time mechanics, is interesting enough. And then once I had the time mechanics, I sort of then was able to piece together sort of how the block structure would work. And once again, you'll notice one of the ongoing themes is I start somewhere, I figure something out. That can shift where I'm going. Like the idea of Scars of Mirrodin shifting from being... Um, oh my god, we're introducing the Phyrexians and everything, it's just new Phyrexia, ended up being, oh, we're coming back to Mirrodin and we're watching the Phyrexians take over Mirrodin. That's not where I started. You know, um, Zendikar didn't start with Adventure World. It started with, hey, I have land mechanics. Okay, one more. Um, so my plan is I'm going to break these into two pieces. Uh, so I'll, I'll probably do a second podcast. I'm, I'm, seeming, I'm almost to work. Uh, Ravnica is my final one of the ten today. Um, interestingly, it's like there's 20 sets. The first, the 10 I did today are the 10 that I was head designer for, and the 10 that come next are ones that I was around for, for most of them. Um, in fact, I was around for all of them but Ice Age, and I was there for the very tail end of Ice Age. Um, anyway, that's next time. So Ravnica, Ravnica was, we wanted to do a multicolor world, we're doing a multicolor theme, we had been to Invasion before, Invasion was five color, I was just trying to go the opposite end of the spectrum. Instead of caring about lots of colors, you care about very few colors. But in order to be gold, you had to care about at least two, so we made it about two. But that's where I started. The guild thing came about because Brady Domermuth, who was the creative director at the time, said, okay, well, if I said to him, I want to I care about all ten color pairs equally. And then Brady walked away saying, oh, well, what if we built around that and made a city and made guilds? And then once he had the guilds, I'm like, okay, we're basing this entire thing on guilds. And then I came up with the 4-3-3 model. 
Um, but that, once again, Revit is a good example where I started trying to come up with a unique way to do multicolor, which led into a creative decision to try to do guilds, which led me to use guilds as a mechanical thing to cement everything. But I never would have got to 4-3-3 had not Brady in, in, in the in-between had come up with the idea of the guilds, which I then latched on to. Um, and so, once again, uh, as we look at today, sort of the inspirations, like... Ravnica started pretty mechanical. Time Spiral started very mechanical. Lorwyn was structural, so that was pretty mechanical. Shards of Alara was structural. Zendikar, structural. Um, Scars of Mirrodin was pretty structural. Then, we get to Innistrad, all of a sudden, we start getting a little more creative. Return to Ravnica was kind of a mix, because we definitely kind of captured the guilds that we had pre-established. I uh, get to Theros, that was very flavorful. And by the time we get to Kondratarkir... Uh, it technically had mechanical starting, but we quickly got into the flavor. So you can see one of the interesting things as we go along is how we've shifted from having a little more of a mechanical center to having a little bit more of a flavor center. Um, another big part of that is we've changed the relationship between how creative and design work. So, um, although it's funny, I mean, even back to Ravnica, I had a close relationship. And like I said, I came up with something, I got a response from creative... Um, so even go back 10 years, there was always some interplay with creative. I think what's happened is, um, in the more recent sets, creative has taken some lead, um, on some of the stuff and there's just more creative stuff happening earlier, um, than they had before. Um, but the neat thing, one of the things about today's podcast and uh, next times as well is I think when you're starting out to make something, the most important thing is that. You just have something to, to stir you. I've talked about this a lot, that a blank page is intimidating. I can do anything is really intimidating. And just giving yourself even a little bit of a restriction helps give you a place to start. Like when I start a design, I want a goal. I, want, I don't want to start a design and go, okay, we can do anything. I'm like, I want to start my team by saying, okay, team, day one, we're going to walk in and saying, team, we're doing this thing. Now, one of the things that's happened recently is because of the shift more towards story and a lot of other factors, I now come in having a sense of what world we're going to go to, and that is very different. Like, when I started... Um, that's just funny. I'm, I'm, the stuff I'm getting into, we haven't even really got to yet. Um, Tarkir, I didn't completely know the world. I worked with creative to figure out the world. But what's happening is, in the current sets upcoming, um, we're starting with worlds. That's, that's kind of a, anyway, a future thing. A little hint of the future of magic is a lot more of... of we have a good idea of what world we're going to, and, and Creative has done a little bit of job fleshing out what that world is. Creative, the Creative team started to do um, exploratory world-building design, so while we're doing exploratory design, they're also doing exploratory world-building. It's something that's relatively new. Um, but anyway, like I said, the, the reason this is fun uh, is I don't think people always realize necessarily where things came from, and sometimes something that might seem like it would be one way, like it's very easy to look at Zendikar and go, oh, you wanted to build adventure world. And I'm like, interesting... Um, not actually what I did. I didn't build Adventure World. I mean, I did build Adventure World, but I didn't build Adventure World by starting with Adventure World. I built Adventure World, um, because I was trying to take advantage of pretty cool land stuff. Um, so let's see, any final thoughts here? I realized, uh, I actually didn't have much traffic today. And I, I started from my, my son's camp, so it was a little different. So let's see if I have a few extra words here. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is I look at the, 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 these ten sets, 
Um, and like I said, these are the 10 sets that I oversaw. I walked in in the middle of Champions of Kamigawa, so I really didn't guide that block. These are all, so Ravnica Time Spiral, Lorman Shadowmore, Shards of Alara, Zendikar, Scars of Mirrodin, Innistrad, Return of Ravnica, Theros, Kanzatark Error. These are all sets that as a lead designer, or head designer, um, I oversaw the crafting of what they were doing. Um, I didn't lead all of them, um, but I did sort of formulate the blocks. Um, and it's interesting, like, here's the kind of neat thing is, Ravnica, we started, I had no idea what the block design was. It wasn't until we figured out the guilds that I knew that the guilds would be the structure. Time Spiral, once again, we started with time mechanics, but it wasn't until I, I dug in a little bit and said, okay, we're doing past, present, future. Lorwyn Shadow Market, that I started with the structure. I knew the block was built around having the four sets, and I very quickly got to large, small, large, small, and I knew they were p- dual parallel. So the structure of that started very early. Shards of Alara was the one of all these that I was probably the least directly involved in. I mean, I worked with Bill a little bit, um, but Bill, who's the, who's their VP, Bill had a lot of experience, so Bill did a lot of the structuring him themselves. But um, Shards of Alara did not really figure out quite what it was doing. Well, I take that back. Bill early on knew he wanted to get to an all-gold final set. So I think the structure that Bill had worked out came very, pretty early on, now that I think about it. Zendikar, Zendikar block... Um, we knew we were doing land, and we knew we were going to go to a different place for the third set, and Creative came up with a way to not have to leave, um, uh, to not have to leave Zendikar. So we did Rise of the Eldrazi. Um, but that didn't happen. We didn't even know where we were going until we were well into the design. So that part of the design, we knew we were going to radically do something different and have mechanics change, but we didn't quite know what we were doing until later on. Um... Scars of Mirrodin, we, once again, we started in a different place, and, but we, during the course of the design, figured out, oh, we're going to watch the fall of Mirrodin. That's, and, and then we ended up coming to the cool thing of not knowing the winner and all that. Um, Innistrad was another one where we originally were planning to just have two sets and then go to a completely different world for the third set. Creative, once again, came up with a way to alt, radically alter the current world to keep it. Um, we managed to keep a little more mechanical connection um, but yeah, Innistrad, its structure wasn't really known too much, other than we knew large, small, large. Um, Return to Ravnica, we knew very early going in, the 5510 was really the, the, the inspiration for the whole set. We knew that going pretty early. Um, Theros, Theros was, we knew, I had a general idea where we were going, and that changed a lot. That's definitely set the creative, the story sort of took over, and it really changed kind of where the block was going. Um, I had a little bit of a mechanical identity of how enchantments were playing. Uh, Theros actually didn't quite work out quite the way we had originally planned. And then Kanzatarkir, like I said, we started knowing the, the basic structure of it, and um, that was definitely something where I had a really good sense of the structure. So future blocks? Oh, lots of cool stuff coming after that. And like I said, we're really sort of changing how we're doing design. That's not the topic of uh, this set. So anyway, next time, join me. I'm going to start with Chance of Kamigawa, work all the way back. Uh, talk about Mirrodin, Onslaught, Odyssey, Invasion, Mercadian Mass, Urza Saga, Tempest, Mirage, and end with Ice Age. And I'll talk about how all those came to be. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and a uh, little insight into the inspiration that made the blocks. But anyway, I'm in my parking space, so we all know what that means. It means it's time for me to end my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you next time. <laughs>